The Utah Jazz have a lot to offer a trade deadline, but it's hard to make any of it fit. Plus, LeBron is our passage of time. All coming up on today's Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? It's the 8th of February edition of Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, and geeky numbers. Today, we look at the five main people talked about in the Utah Jazz trade landscape and what they have to offer to teams and why they are tradable or not tradable. What the heck is a trade exception and how does it work for the Utah Jazz and how can the Jazz use the one they have that expires Tomorrow, a little bit light, another late game watch left over, and the Minnesota Timberwolves are in town. Of course, LeBron James breaks the record, is our passage of time as fans. I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. As I mentioned, this is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast in the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free. We are available on every podcasting app. We are also on YouTube. You can be a part of the community and join us each and every day, chatting with other friends and all being a part of it. Thanks so much uh, for tuning in. All right, I forgot my drum roll today. It's a transition trying to do this like true cold open. It's kind of much. And uh, on YouTube, just made me realize that I probably should do that. All right. So we'll go beanie today. Hope everyone's good. Uh, final game of the Jazz homestand. So we'll look at that as well, kind of what we have and what we learned from the homestand. Um, LeBron. I thought last night was really cool. Um, I'm blown away by LeBron. Always have been. Um, I said it in the open. He's kind of our passage of time. I'm 452. I mean, I, I've been a professional. Kobe was my first, so Kobe's rookie year, and I, I'm working in the NBA. I've, on a personal note, this is now all about me, which is really interesting because we're talking about Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. Um, so it seems really strange that I suddenly turned it into me, but I guess I'm trying to relate to you and where you might be in your age. So if you're, you know, in your 50s, Kobe breaks in right when you're about 25, 26 years old or so. And so for my professional career, Kobe was kind of the first, like as a fan, I watched Michael and then joined in the ride as a professional. Kobe, absolutely his career starts when my career starts. His rise was a bit more meteoric than mine. Um, LeBron's an interesting one because I've gone through transitions and I'm an established reporter when he comes in and I've watched him go through this whole thing at, you know, for me, it's the first time I've been older than the star. Kobe and I were very similar, I think, in age. Um, he's a little younger, but similar. So it's interesting kind of as a professional how we, and then all of us have it in our own realm of, of life. LeBron is, to me, LeBron is this first star, Tiger is as well, of the hype era, of the social media era, of the everything being micro-analyzed era, of the tear down the stars rather than put them on the pedestal era. Tiger fell victim to it. Has had all sorts of, you know, off issues, some of which 
you know, I don't know. You could decide yourself. I don't have any idea. I've never thought about whether he's been treated fairly or unfairly or whether, you know, kept his demagogue status despite it. LeBron has really had very few missteps. Like his biggest misstep is on a day in which he gives $3 million to the Boys and Girls Club. It's incredible to me. It's incredible that with all the hype that he's had, that he was able to answer this bell. The other thing that I do think people are touching on, I I don't think any of it's been missed. Like I I don't think there's some, I don't have some brilliant insight here that's going to be different than what other people said. But if you look at the all-time NBA scoring leaders and you go back and look at where they are in their career as they reach this point, um, they're petering out badly. Uh, I mean, really shadows of themselves in the history of the game. Malone is a shadow of himself in those in that Los Angeles year. Kobe is, frankly, not very good at basketball. Michael's in Washington. Dirk was gaming it, but like could barely move. I don't remember Will. Shaq, I think we kind of have. Carmelo, we've saw the last few years. LeBron has reached this milestone while peaking still. While peaking, like being the, none of those guys were ever the best player on the floor on any night in the latter half of their career. Maybe Kobe on the final night, but that was kind of an exhibition. LeBron's the best player on the floor every night. At 38, the commitment he has shown to the craft For those who have suddenly decided that LeBron is arch enemy because some TV network has told them so, I find it sad because this is actually what we've asked from every athlete we've ever had. Why we love Stockton and Malone so much is their undenying love of the craft and work to be great. This guy's taking it to the highest level ever. Whatever we always ask is for the athlete to take the job as seriously and love the game as much as we would if we thought we were an athlete. Well, here's a guy who's spent millions and millions and millions appropriately on his body. He revolutionized how athletes treat their own body. And then you have the evolution of his game, which is what we always talk about with the mailman. This guy's done the same thing. What's crazy about this guy, truly crazy about LeBron, He's fourth all-time in assists, number one all-time in scoring. He played the game like Magic Johnson at the size of Karl Malone with the handles of, I mean, it's, he's the greatest player ever to play the game. Now, is he the greatest winner? Is he, you know, you can, we can still probably have a GOAT debate. It's getting thinner. Um, The game's changed. There's some, you know, I got it. Like, I'm not, that wasn't the point of this. Um. But he really is, to me, everything at this point of an, as an athlete that we've asked for and that we've wanted from someone who's taking who's playing the craft. Like, his level of commitment to greatness may not have ever been surpassed. I mean, think of Michael as just a, you know, unbinding winner. Maybe. But this commitment to, I mean, the body at 38, what he's doing is, Stan Van Gundy last night was just, you know, 
amazed every time. Like, he's the best transition player in the world at 38. So, for me to watch this guy in an era that I think is over, we're constantly watching it overwhelm most people with the social media and all the rest, and he's finding a way to be able to fight through that and be the greatest that's ever played the game. It's pretty awesome. So last night was great. And from a Utah standpoint, I think there's actually, I feel like we've kind of been intermixed with him. You know, there's the Sunday out of games game and his strange inability to win in Utah. And at the same time, you know, one of his signature early moments of his career, I was talking to him in uh, Miami after a game, I think it was early in my jazz career, um, or after a shoot around. And he was talking about the night he remembers getting hot in Salt Lake and having a standing ovation from the jazz crowd and how much, um, you know, he remembers, um, you know, that the, the appreciation of the crowd and, and the rest. Um, it's, I do feel like we've been tied in. Maybe every fan base, maybe his legacy is such that every fan base feels that. Um, it's interesting. Um, anyway, uh, I thought it was incredible last night. I hope you enjoyed it. I do think it thought it was important. The Utah Jazz have five players that have been talked about the most, and then a player named Trade Exception that are being talked about the most as possibly being dealt. I thought, one, explain how the trade exception works and what the Jazz might be able to do with it. That's exciting stuff. And in addition, kind of touching on what other teams are looking at when they see each of our guys. I think that's, at least that's my hope here. So that's what I want to do uh, as we continue. Today's show is brought to you by our great friends over at uh, Intercap Lending. And when I say great friends, I well, Brock's really cool. But I really mean Steve Carter. Uh, there's nobody that I, I'm able to recommend with such certainty as our own personal loan officer, Steve Carter, and to continually get amazing reviews time in and time out. Just love Steve. Uh, love Intercap and their innovative uh, programs. The one they have right now is called FreeFi. And what this is, is with all the kind of where the world is right now, anyone who buys a home using intercap lending from now till the end of March will have the ability to, well, from now to March 2023. So I have to check and see whether it includes March. So this could be winding down. Uh, We'll have the ability when interest rates dip down to take an advantage of a refi and we'll have to waive all lending fees for the refi. That's pretty incredible. So free fi. So what that means is that Intercap will cover all processing and underwriting fees. It is worth mentioning the client will still have escrow fees and title fees that will be a part of the refinance. But there will no lender fees from Intercap. So you do a mortgage loan with Intercap right now. When you want to refi sometime in the next two years, valid until March of 2025, you pay no lending fees. Pretty incredible. Steve Carter's our guy. You can email me at dlock09 at gmail.com and I will either set you up or you can call Steve Carter directly. His number is 385, of course I just moved it, 385-885-28. Today's show is also brought to you by LinkedIn, the number one spot for all job sources out there in a crazy world. We all know that you can end up with uh, finding yourself certainly with the 
being overwhelmed by the job search and ending up really just burying your time. That's where LinkedIn will help you attract, quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond resume data by using insights from their job posting company and their 875 member profiles. Identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn jobs and connect with them fast and free. LinkedIn makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your applications and your qualifications all on one platform. So LinkedIn jobs helps you find qualified candidates for you to talk to faster, Post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. I'm very thankful for that. And your second listen today, we always suggest our good friends over at Locked On Sports Today, hosted by Peter Bukowski, giving you the insight uh, on everything going on in the sports world in 22 minutes or less. All right, let's walk through the five players that have been talked about the most. So poor Jared Vanderbilt has been talked about every day in every offer imaginable in every, it's like crazy, I feel for him. One of the reasons is because Jared Vanderbilt makes $4 million. So it is just so easy to place him in almost any structure of almost any deal. And teams have, I'll get to this in a section, what a trade exception is. Team, ton of teams have trade exceptions you can throw him into. It's, it's impossible to go to a trade deadline page for Jared Vant, for a team and not be able to fit in a $4.3 million contract. He's on the, he's a plus. He's got this amazing contract and he's on the books next year for $4.7 million. So his contract is so beautiful that what another team sees is a relentless energy, a defensive ability to play one through five position switching, super rebounding prowess, great grit, great effort. This year he's actually played with the ball in his hands a ton, has doubled his assist totals. What they don't see is they see a non-shooter um, and though vastly improved. And so it's even more appealing because of the fact that he's actually making that three at 33% of the time. Um, and as, if you leave him open late in a shot clock, that's not actually a bad shot anymore. He's really, he's 23 years old. There's, there's just, one of the things when teams look to trade for players is like, how does he fit in? There's just no difficulty here. He can play multiple positions. He's got incredible energy. He defensively can play one through five. He's a high-level rebounder. He's got grit. He's got effort. Like, and he's got an amazing contract. It's there's there's no difficulty to fitting that in. Um, that's how another team really looks at Jared Vanderbilt. Malik Beasley is the next one that's been mentioned a ton. Fifteen point five million this year, with a club option for sixteen point five. So you're off the money if you want it. You're not. You have the money, you have him if you don't. If you're an over-the-cap team and you're having to play, you could pick up this option and you have Malik Beasley at 26-year-old for 16.5. Again, the contract makes him incredibly appealing. So what does somebody see out of Malik? A just bona fide shooter. Has to be guarded at all times. He's played every game all season. Um, He definitely puts a fear in an opponent. If you're a good NBA team and you're looking and you're short a shooter or you're trying to figure out how you're spacing the floor late in games for your studs, like Malik Beasley is so easy 
to just slot in there. Again, when you start thinking about trading guys, and if you're, and we're trying to view this from the 29 other teams looking at our players, like how does he fit into our team? Malik Beasley fits into just about every team every night. Shoot the rock. And he does it at an elite level. He has slowed down a little bit recently. Um, but he's also played every night and might be having a little bit larger burden than he's used to have. I'm going to guess whatever team, if he gets moved, he would go to a team and have a lesser burden and just be a knockdown, spot-up killer shooter. Jordan Clarkson is interesting. He's at 13.3 million. His He has a player option for 14.2. I think everyone is assuming that with the year he's having, Jay averaging 20 points a game at 30 years old, he'll opt out. So he's likely to be a free agent. So if it, what does another team see in, see in Jordan Clarkson? They see a high-level isolation player. Isolation becomes more and more important when everyone's switching in the playoffs. He just gets buckets. Incredible improvement in his passing this year. In fact, if you look at his like big number assist days this year, Jordan's had 22 games of five assists and where he had 23 in the two years prior. So... If he has a five-assist game tonight, it will be his 23rd of the season, which would equal the amount he's had in the last two years combined. He's gone from 2.5 assists to 4.6. But he's in the 80th percentile in isolation. He is an elite isolation player. Um, he's a little harder in this concept of, like, how do I put him, fit him in? Like, he plays with the ball in his hands. He takes a lot of oxygen. He he is he's an incredibly cerebral player, so that he does kind of he does gel and work. But if you're another team and you're trying to figure out like, well, wait a sec, I already have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon. How, how am I getting him to fit in without upsetting the apple cart? Like th- that's a harder equation. If you're Milwaukee, and you have Giannis, and you have Chris Middleton. I'm just kind of going on the top of the Eastern Conference standings. These are not teams I think he's projected to. I literally am looking at the standings in the Eastern Conference and picking the next team. If I'm if I'm looking at Milwaukee, and I'm like, okay, I have Giannis, I have Chris Middleton, I have Drew Holiday, I have Grayson Allen. Like, how well, does Jordan? If I'm Philadelphia, and I have Harden, and I have Embiid, like Malik Beasley. If I'm Philadelphia, and I'm like, oh, Malik Beasley, like, oh, James Harden. Joel Embiid pick and roll, just kick it to the wing, wide open Malik Beasley for three, I'm there. Like, oh, that's, if I'm Milwaukee and I'm like, Drew Holiday, Giannis pick and roll with Brooke Lopez in the corner, I got to go weak side, Malik Beasley catch and shoot three. Oh, like, I'm there. Like, those are, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can just slide those Malik in. It's easy. Jordan, you have to kind of figure out, like, how's he going to match? He's a unique player. He takes more oxygen. He averages 20 points a game. Um, you know, maybe because he's a he's an elite player, you have to try to figure that out. It's a little more complicated. Mike Conley has been talked about an awful lot. Um, he's 35. He's making 22.6 this year. And next year is partially guaranteed. That's a hard contract to trade. Uh, the player, veteran, ball mover, stabilizer, calmer, shooter, crafty, clutch, you look at the teams that desperately need a point guard, the team that's mentioned the most is the Clippers. They seem to be hunting in every other direction other than Mike Conley, and maybe they circle back. Um, 
and we talked about them yesterday. They've won eight of 10. I'm mystified by them right now. They like to switch one through five of like-sized guys. Well, if you have Mike Conley on the floor, you probably can't do that. The other teams that are in the top that are like our playoff teams right now, Denver, I don't think needs a point guard unless they're moving, unless they decide off Bones Highland. You know, you add Mike in their second team, they'd be pretty incredible. They don't like to switch a lot because of Jokic, so maybe that actually matches, be a really unique move, but it's awfully hard for a good team to suddenly go trade a, for a 22 million, like, so Denver, I actually love it. Like, I think Mike Conley, if you just were living in a world where you're trading, um, you're not trading contracts and you're trading Denver's up over the cap. And so, but let's just play for a second. Like, if you could just move Mike Conley to Denver, I think it gives Denver the NBA title. Like, I think that's what Mike Conley would do for them. But the problem is that Mike Conley's making $22 million and the only, they, they don't have any way to not rip apart their lineup and put together $22 million. So Mike's a really difficult contract to trade. I do think he's like the player that we're talking about here who like if you put him on Denver, I think they win a championship. You put him on Sacramento and give them a backup point guard and it's like, oh, like that really helps De'Aaron Fox's Davion Mitchell struggling. You put him on the Clippers, I think they might win a championship. They have Robert Covington and some pieces. They can actually make the trade. Phoenix doesn't probably need him with Chris Paul. And Landry Shamit, De- Dallas has Kyrie. The Warriors probably don't need him, though it wouldn't kill him. The Pelicans, it w- those are Jose Alvarado minutes, and he's been pretty good for them. Um, Minnesota would probably love to get off D'Angelo Russell and just have Mike Conley instead, frankly. Um, but so you look, it's just this one's harder to find, even though, ironically enough, of the five players that I've just talked about, the player who I actually think takes you from being a really, really good team to a championship team is probably Mike Conley. Which is super interesting to how this whole tread deadline works and what makes it all so complicated. What the heck is a trade exception? And how? what does it mean for the Jazz? And what is the limitation the Jazz have on using a trade exception that expires tomorrow? Yeah, no, really. I just teased a trade exception conversation. Wake up. Wake up. It's not that... Oh, it is that boring. But... Maybe maybe you'll stick with me because you're super nice. We'll see. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at FanDuel. They are the number one sports book in America, and they are the official sports book of Locked On. We're super excited about the new deal with FanDuel, and with the Super Bowl here, this is amazing! Are you ready? The no sweat first bet. You get the $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download the FanDuel app right now so you can bet on Super Bowl 57. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point springs to who will score a touchdown. We've been posting online on our Locked On Network account all sorts of fun little bets they have. The FanDuel sports app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you get paid on your winnings instantly because it is the number one sports book in America. It's FanDuel. So, join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash Locked On to claim your no sweat. First bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel. No sweat. First bet. Locked On is your... Promo code FanDuels.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sports book of the NFL. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. 
The Thank you very much for making Locked On your first listen. Locked On NBA Big Board is your draft show. I'm trying to catch it every day. Get ready for the draft. Be prepared for you guys. I'll dig in when the season's over. We'll dive deep. We'll get ready. But not right now, I don't have time. So I just listen to those guys as my experts. It's Locked On NBA Big Board. All right, here's what a trade exception is. You make a trade in the NBA, and then if you have a money discrepancy between the deals, then you get what's called a trade exception. So a trade exception becomes available when a team relinquishes more salary than it acquires. And then you get this credit that remains an exception that can be used within 12 months to acquire salary via trade without giving up other salaries. So the Jazz traded Joe Ingles on February 9th of 2022, and it requires we have a trade exception that conveniently goes away tomorrow on the trade deadline at $9.7 million. In other words, the Jazz brought gave away more money than it took back to the point of $9.7 million. So this means the Jazz could go to any of the teams that are in the luxury tax and take back a player that is not... And not take back any others, uh, and that team would not have to take back any salary. So if you look at the Boston Celtics, the Brooklyn Nets, the Dallas Mavericks, the Denver Nuggets, the Golden State Warriors, the LA Clippers, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Phoenix Suns, and maybe even Atlanta, Miami, and New Orleans who are over the tax actually next year, not this year, they all would be really interested in taking in some sort of trade like this. Yesterday we saw one, San Antonio took in Dwayne Dedman from Miami. Um, San Antonio actually has to get to the salary cap floor because they're not there yet. That's a wholly different discussion. And it saved them a bunch of money. Um, so we could take back, in theory, $9.8 million for this trade, or nine point seven. However, we can't really. Because after the Boyan Bogdanovich trade, we're actually only about $6.8 million under the luxury tax. 6.9. So we really only can bring back $6.9 million in that $9 million exception without going over the luxury tax. And we certainly have no interest in going over the luxury tax, particularly considering how many pe- much money everyone's paying in the luxury tax. We have the right to garner all that money in the revenue share. And then secondarily, we're not going to win a championship, so why possibly be in the luxury tax? So if you go and play on the salary game of all these teams in the NBA and you start to go look at teams, you can go play a little bit. We don't need to do it here, but someone like the Denver Nuggets who are notoriously cheap and never wanting to go into the luxury tax could suddenly send us on their roster any of their, you know, someone like Ish Smith, who's maybe they decide not playing that much, for $4.7 million and a second-round draft pick. And then we've just that saves them, you know, times three luxury tax money. Doesn't get them under the tax, but saves them a lot of money. The crazy one John Hollinger wrote about yesterday is what's going on with the Warriors. The Warriors could trade James Wiseman. He's owned $9.6 million this year. So we could put it into our trade exception, but it would put us over the tax. We'd have to make another move. And he's owned twelve point two next year as the number two pick of the draft. The Warriors 
trade James Wiseman, it saves him $51 million in salary and tax this year and an estimated $85 million in salary and tax next year for a total of $131 million of savings if they move James Wiseman. Is that crazy? We could take that into our trade exception. You're probably getting a first-round pick with it, I would assume, at this point. The other question is whether or not they're, you know, are they willing to move any of their other younger guys just because of luxury tax? And the problem the answer to that because of the Warriors is no. I don't know that Philadelphia is right on the edge of the tax. They will move someone. They're so close to the tax. There's absolutely no way they don't make a move. So suddenly you can take a Montrez Harrell, but he has 2.7 as a player option next year. So that gets painful and you take a pick with it. Or you take Shake Milton, who's an unrestricted free agent next year, and you decide you like him and you want him around, and you take your trade exception for $1.1 million, and you just slot him in there. So that's what a trade exception is. Is the ability to bring in this player without having to send salary back. Now, here's what you cannot do. You cannot take Jared Vanderbilt at $4 million, your trade exception at $9 million, and bring back $15 million. You could trade Jared Vanderbilt for a $4 million player and the trade exception for someone, but you cannot aggregate the trade exception. (laughs) Now we're into the weeds, but it's worth you trying to understand what's going on here. Um, So that's a little geeky, but I think it's interesting. All right, Jazz and the Wolves tonight. The Wolves just keep looking like they're going to be great, keep looking like they figured it out, and then do what they did last night. They allowed 49 points in the first quarter last night. Basketball before the trade exception trade deadline is weird. Um, I wouldn't make big value judgments on teams this time of year. But boy, I've watched the Wolves a ton and they look super close to me. Like they look like they've got it figured out. They've won, had gone and winning seven of their last 10. Their only loss was an overtime loss to Sacramento that they should have won. They'd win. I watched that game. They'd win it nine out of 10. They lost a weird game at home to Orlando, which is again, because they're doing these things that the Wolves do where you think, They've like totally figured it out after back-to-back overtime wins and then or overtime games and they've won four out of five and then they lose to Orlando. And then they go play Denver and they crush Denver by 30 and then they come out and lose to them by 40. So they're still an absolute box of chocolates, but they're really close to figuring it out. Um, going into last night, they were defensively the number one team in the NBA over the last 10 games. They are not anymore. Um, Rudy Gobert is beginning to have a much bigger impact on games than he was before. Uh, Minnesota slipped to the third best defensive team after last night. Um, Here's the crazy one about Minnesota. Here's the absolutely bonkers thing to me about Minnesota when I was prepping for the game last night. And this is actually, now actually, this this was as of last night. This is actually probably not true anymore. Um, But it's still bonkers. The Minnesota Timberwolves are 29 and 28, and we're 27 and 28. We're like the exact same. Going into last night, our point differentials were the exact same. Our point differential is now better than theirs. After last night, Minnesota's point differential is 0.2. Our point differential is 1.1. We're the fourth best offense, 27th best defense. They're the 21st best offense, sixth best defense. They're like just the reverse of us. Like, how is it possible? that Utah and Minnesota are like virtually the exact same statistical profile of a team. They have Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert. They are built to be a championship team and we're built to be like this beginning of a rebuild. 
That to me is the craziest thing here. Is that that's that's where we are. Um, one last note. We've talked about Rudy a lot. The biggest question on Rudy, frankly, has been you know the, how many fewer shots he's impacting and what that means and whether there's something going on and whether he's slowed down, whether the league's... My theory is that the league's kind of figured out they've had seven years to build game plans to stop him. Um, over the last 10 games, he's back up to affecting eight shots a game. Now, last night hurt him um, because I don't think he affected more than two or three last night. He barely played and he got completely... Um, Jokic just has him at this point. Like, it's kind of crazy. But if you look at Rudy in the last 15 games... Um, He's beginning to impact. If you look at Rudy for the season, if we take Rudy for the season, he was down to, and I'll check this is still right, 7.4 shots a game, which he used inside six feet he was affecting. He used to be at nine. He was only making him seven percentage points difference um, on those. In the last 10 games, he's affecting one more shot and he's back up to 10 percentage points. They've changed the way they're playing him. He's much more impactful. Um, He's having much larger impact on the game than he was before. Last night, skewed those numbers. Those numbers were even higher um, before, but last night he really got kind of played off. Played off. Uh, I don't know if he got played off the floor. He had no impact. He had scored no points. Um, he, Jokic has him. Like, Jokic has him at this point. Like, ever since the bubble. Um, so, kind of, you know, last night he impact, they, sh- he, actually last night I think he might have impacted five or six shots as well. So, um, no, actually I was trying to get just last game. Let's see here. Last game, last night, Rudy Gobert impacted two shots all night inside six feet. Like, he had no impact. Um, so, I think the numbers are skewed a little bit. They were much higher. He was having a much bigger impact. He's, they finally figured out how to have him impact games, and it's been super impactful. All right, that is Locked on Jazz for today. Uh, tomorrow, I think I'm doing a show. We're flying super early. So it's a little hard for me to get a show out tomorrow. And it's also weird because I could do a show that has like one minute worth of value. The minute I post it, it could change. So we'll see. If there's not a show tomorrow morning, uh, then I'll be doing one from Toronto. Have a great one. Talk to you soon.